A tad. We could always do sign language. <laughs> That'd be quite a podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, where are you from in the UK? Uh, just in London. Where in London? So near Wimbledon, <laughs> near Wimbledon, sort of southwest London, um, right. near sort of Waterloo, that sort of area. Yeah. 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 I lived in East London for a bit. Ah, which which part was it? Was it Brick Lane or something? Uh, Loughton. Loughton, oh, okay. And how do you find the UK as a whole? What did you think of London? Our characteristics of personas? Well, London is not really the UK as a whole. Uh, very different from the other places I've been in the UK. Uh, it was it was cool. I liked uh, where I, I mean we were living in like a pretty small town uh, on the outskirts, so that was pretty nice because uh, I have kids and uh, and you know still close to the city. Okay. The one thing I find is that everything takes a long, long time. Everything is very slow. I'd say. Could you elaborate on that? I can get what you're going at, but what do you mean? Well, I mean, because I live in in uh, Reykjavik, in a town of 230,000 people, something like that. Okay. And, you know, you can go out and you can do like 10 different things. In London, if you have to do something, you only do one thing. And that's your whole day. You don't plan several things. If you're going to have to go somewhere, that takes five hours to get there and back. I find that everything takes a long time to get done. And you think it's because there's too many people in London, effectively? It's too densely populated? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty... That's, yeah. And, and you know, and also, I mean, it's... I guess, in, yeah, in terms of it's the area isn't that huge, but it is a pretty big place. Yeah, very congested. So, I mean, yeah, like, so I mean, yeah. you know, exactly. D and dense like, and big. And like New York as well, that's quite mad, isn't it? That's even worse. I've never been to New York. Ah, yeah, I've never been there, but I, I, I imagine that it is, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. And I've never been to like Norway or Sweden or Iceland and Denmark. I want to head over at some point because I know that you guys are handling yeah. the virus better than here. <laughs> well, it's not going great in Iceland at the moment. Uh, we've, we're in like the third wave now and it's, it's getting pretty bad. Really? What's, what's, what's happened? I just, uh, I guess we opened things up too quickly and uh, now we're back on a pretty serious lockdown. Um, so. It will be all, I mean, when this is all over, I mean, the, the performing arts across the world are going to be, you know, really greatly appreciated. Like people are going to be flocking to whatever's left of like music, comedy and all of that. They're like, oh, so many years we've not watched any of this live. Oh, there's a comedy or, or <laughs> music here. We're going. 
Well, yeah, I hope so. Um, I I know my my father. He's a comedian and actor, and uh, uh, he does everything. Uh, he's very concerned that we might never be going back. It's just we're just not going to have those big events anymore. So I don't know. Hopefully he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's still some things that have gone on during the summer in the UK, despite all that's happened. But yeah, we've had stuff here as well. So, but one thing I want to ask, so I don't get it wrong, because I always do this. Mm-hmm. I want to get your name right, and uh, Evander. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Evander. Uh, Evander. Cool. Got it. Yeah, great. I've passed the test now. <laughs> yes, you're an honorary Icelander now. So, I mean, it's 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 a pleasure to have you on the podcast as a whole, and yeah, it's going to be it's, we're going to find out about music and like what sort of music you're into, and I'm looking forward to how you sort of balance like being a musician during these times. And like also having a family and kids. Right. I mean that that is intriguing. Yeah. Uh, it, well, yeah. I mean, I, I've been a, a musician for, oh, well, I mean, for all of my life, really. But I've been sort of semi-professional as a musician for, I guess, twenty years. And uh, well, now, I mean, I'm not playing live, really. I haven't done the live streaming thing that a lot of people have been doing uh, because I used to do a lot of that before COVID and then everybody else got into it and I said yeah let's do something else now uh, so I've been writing and recording um, and just I guess waiting um, for it because you know I, I have an album almost ready and I guess I'll release that Next year, I was going to do it uh, about November, but I figured I'd postpone it so that hopefully I can do some live shows <laughs> when I release it. And uh, But I'm lucky in that a lot of the things I do, I mean, I have a podcast as well, and I, I'm a translator, and I write and all that kind of stuff. And I'm lucky in that I can do all that from home, and I've been doing it from home. So for me, not a lot changed really with the virus, except I can't play live music. What's, what's, so what sort of languages do you translate as a whole? And I translate from English into Icelandic. Oh, okay, nice and straightforward. Uh, that's basically it. Sometimes I, yeah, it's pretty easy. Sometimes I uh, work from uh, Danish or Swedish, but then I'll usually have the English script as well i don't speak danish very well i can read it okay but i don't my danish is terrible you you know enough to order coffee in denmark but you don't know enough to sort of engage in philosophical discussions yeah Uh, although even when i try to order coffee or a hot dog or some simple things in denmark uh, the Danes always just cut me off and they say, just, just, just speak English. I don't understand a word you're saying. You sound awful. <laughs> um, and 
So I've never been able to work on my Danish because they just switch to English immediately and they never allow me. So I blame this on the Danes, definitely. It's their fault that my Danish is terrible. That's, that's one of the things I found uh, when I went to Paris. I tried speaking French to them, but they were like, your French is shit, so we're just going to speak to you in English. That's what I found as well. and Because uh, everybody warned me that the French were very rude uh, and that they didn't... they they refused to speak English. But when I actually went to France, it was not like that at all. They were all very nice. And they said, yeah, I, your, your French is terrible. Let's just do this. Everybody speaks English. Uh, so yeah, no, I found the French to be very pleasant people. It, it's, it's surprising. As opposed to the Danes, they're horrible. Are they? Oh, okay. We're going into do we have a story uh, here. I'm, I'm Icelandic. I'm required. I'm required <laughs> by law to say that. Like if I was Scottish, I would have to say that the English are terrible people. It's just the, no matter if you feel that way personally or not, you just have to say it, right? Of course, you got to stay with your tribe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, my, my neighbor is Danish. I have no problem with the Danish people. It's just a thing that we say because we used to be a Danish colony, you know. Banter. <laughs> of course. Now... One thing that I find interesting, so you've been doing music all your life, effectively, and like, how how did you, did you get to the process of it becoming your, was it your full-time job before lockdown, or? Not, not full-time, no. Um, uh, well, I, I've, I do music for theater. Uh, uh. Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll get hired for to write and usually perform in the shows. And so at that, those times it effectively becomes my full-time job for uh, a while. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, what was the question again? So what, what would you say that you are a part-time musician as a whole? Is that before COVID? Yes, yeah, I, yeah, I'm a part-time. And how, yes, yeah. how did it get to the stage where you became a part-time musician? Like, how did you get to that stage? Right. So... Well, um, uh, so there are several things. There are different streams of revenue, I guess, and they each have their own in. So I do sell music and I make a little bit of money. I don't make a living selling music, but I do. I've certainly uh, made, made money that way and, and bought food with it. So that counts. Uh, and that's just, uh, I do online marketing, email marketing, stuff like that. I also have a small tour company, which is not functioning right now, but I do free walking tours around Reykjavik. And that's a great place to sell CDs. You just sort of, you've spent an hour and a half telling people stories and jokes and they've been getting to know you a little bit. And then you say, oh, by the way, I have a CD for sale and they're tipping you anyway. So they might pay you a little extra and get a CD. Uh, and so that's uh, one thing. That's one uh, part of it is selling music. And obviously when I play live, uh, a lot of the times you're playing live and you're not getting paid or you're getting paid very little and then you sell CDs and T-shirts and things. And uh, playing live is a you get a little bit of money from that uh, i have in the past 
been in that situation of playing cover songs for money, you know, playing three hours of cover songs. I don't do that anymore because I hate it. But that was something that I used to do uh, for money. But playing original songs, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly, I've been doing this for long enough that I can uh, do that. But I can't do it consistently enough because my market is so small. So I can maybe get away with doing one gig like that a month and making a little bit of money, but not to sustain myself completely. Uh, but then again, the theater has been my biggest source of revenue as far as music goes over the past few years. And that was something that I kind of lucked into. Uh, I got hired for one job and then, you know, I started getting more. Ah, okay. And so I would say that it's all about just being active, getting yourself out there. And then, you know, once you've established a little bit of a track record for playing live or for writing for a theater or for doing this or that, paid your dues, so to speak, then it, things start coming to you. Although, of course, you have to work very hard on, on getting your name out there, too. Yeah. I mean, what do you think of, I mean, there's quite a few musicians that have made their big name in the early days of YouTube, like Justin Bieber, like just producing these videos and then yeah. boom. And then you have another, a couple of other artists and then now people are releasing some of their songs in TikTok and they use them as sort of like backing tracks. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, I don't know, there, there are, it's been the same way forever, right? I mean, since, since music was first recorded, uh, there's this great documentary series called American Epic. That's about, it's a documentary about the early days of uh, folk music recording. You know, when, uh, when music sort of started to spread to the middle class and lower classes. And uh, before that, it was all classic music. And then uh, the rich people got radios. And so the record company started marketing to the lower classes and they started recording these folk artists and country, early country artists. And uh, all this roots music was being recorded. This was in the 1920s. And uh, there you got these breakout stars when you know they were these record producers were going around recording people like mississippi john hurt and uh the carter family and all of these artists that became i mean those were the justin bieber's of that time right you know uh because they were pioneering this new media and i think uh you know it's happened with everything with music videos you know, when, when MTV was a new thing. And then when, when YouTube was first becoming a, an avenue for musicians, that's when we got Justin Bieber and all those artists. And now you have TikTok. And uh, before that, it was something else, I guess. Um, I don't know. We're, have there been Instagram musicians? I don't know. But I mean, I think it's, uh, it's always going to be like that. But it's, I, I also think that it's a mistake to try to, to try to force yourself as an artist into that, into, you know, oh, this is the new thing. I have to do this now. You know, like now I think a lot of people are thinking, well, TikTok is, you have to be on TikTok if you're going to be a musician. 
And I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, it probably depends on your market and all of that, but yeah. also just what you are good at. I would be terrible. I don't even understand TikTok at all. I'm too old. Uh, so it would be, it would just be ridiculous for me to try to, to follow that trend. Uh, because I think it's very rare that following a trend like that actually works. I think the people who break out are, they, they, they catch lightning in a bottle and they're, it's part luck. Of course it's talent as well, but I think they're just at the right place at the right time, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I, I love to see that happen. I, it's, it's a great. I, and even though the, these are, mostly musicians that I don't listen to. I think it's really cool when somebody gets that moment. But for 99% of us, it's much more about just hard work and trying to be smart about what you're doing and doing it right. How, so how does it sort of work? Because in comedy, you can't like, comedians, they do well at spots and then they get spotted and then they get into open spots at big clubs. And then there's comedy competitions and particularly comedy competitions. If you do well in comedy competitions, you, the chances are you get signed by a big agency and then they put you on TV. But the one thing that's interesting about comedy is no matter how high you're up, you're still going to find TV comics doing open mics to work on their material. I mean, how, and you will get open mic comedians mixing in with top tier comedians. I mean, how often does that happen per se with music? I don't think it happens very much at all. And I think that's a shame, really. Uh, I, I, I used to be in comedy and uh, the difference is, and the reason why I left comedy was because it's so time intensive, as you know. I mean, you have to be performing as much as you can and you have to perform in front of people. And that takes a lot of time and you have to be away all hours doing that and once I had kids I couldn't be away every night so uh, the, the reason I sort of chose music as my outlet more than comedy was that I can stay in my room and play guitar and work on my craft which doesn't work with comedy you need that live feedback yeah so for that reason uh, I think that's why it doesn't happen with uh, musicians as much, although there are, I mean, uh, there are musicians who do that. Like Glenn Hansard, he'll go out and busk when he's touring. Do you know Glenn Hansard? No, Glenn Hansard. Glenn Hansard. No. I'll look him up. He's Irish. Uh, uh, he's, a, uh, he's a folk folk artist. Um, uh, and I know that he, when he's touring, he'll go out and busk on the streets wherever he is. A friend of mine saw him busking in, in Reykjavik once. Uh, and I saw him like warming up because uh, he had a new band that he was playing with like a big show the next day. And so I saw him like in this tiny little hole of a bar uh, just getting the band together because he had an, Iceland an Icelandic band that he hadn't played with before. Mm. So those sort of things will happen sometimes. I know the Stones... I don't know if they do this anymore, but they used to go into blues clubs. Uh, like, in, you know, they'd be in New York and they'd go into a blues club and play a set. Uh, so it does happen, but it's rare. And I think it's just for because those people enjoy doing it. It's not something that's necessary for you to do. Whereas in comedy, like you said, you know, 
you need that because you're working on new material. You can't charge people the same price for a show where you're just honing your material and working on new stuff as you can with a fully polished show. So it's a very different medium. What, what about with, how does, how does a musician generally sort of go up through the ranks and get bigger and more famous and like, well, I mean, nowadays it's changed so much from what it was, uh, you know, 20 years ago. And now I, I don't think there's, there are any rules anymore. You know, some of them, uh, those big ones, you know, just uh, like, yeah, you know, it's TikTok or YouTube or whatever, and somebody spots them and signs them or something. But of course now, uh, the beautiful thing about music now is that you don't have to have a record label anymore. You don't have to have a manager or a promoter or anything like that. You can do everything yourself. I mean, uh, you can, it's very cheap to release music now. Um, and especially if you only do it digitally, then it's just, it's almost nothing. And, uh, you know, most people can afford to have a small recording studio in their house. I mean, look at Billie Eilish, you know, her brother produced her album in his bedroom and uh, cost nothing. And she's the biggest artist in the world now. So uh, it's become much more, uh, I don't know, democratic, if you want to call it that. And there are now ways for you to market your music and make money from it without without spending too much money and you know if it's if you're a solo artist then uh, you know you can actually make a living just from your bedroom uh, because you don't need that huge you don't need millions of fans mm. to make a living you know you can have a couple of thousand and you know you'll be you'll be doing all right uh, if you if you market market your stuff the right way and um, so I think, you know, I mean, I have friends, I, I have a friend who's a uh, full-time musician. He's, uh, he's, well, he's a touring artist. So I guess right now he's not really working, but uh, normally, you know, he, he books a tour in Europe because obviously again, we're in a very small market. So he'll tour Germany and Poland and, you know, uh, Scandinavia like twice a year and that'll be enough for him to, you know, uh, uh, make a living. And then of course he plays every now and then in Iceland as well, but again, can't do it as frequently. So, and, and, you know, for him, he's not, he's not a world famous star or anything. He's, you know, he's got his following and uh, it's uh, uh, decent, but it's you know, very much, he's very much just built it on his own without a, a big record label or anything like that. So I think, I don't think there are any, there's any one path. There are so many different things that you can do to, to rise uh, through the ranks as a, as a musician. One thing I want to ask you is, is most of the music he performs in English? Uh, no, it's, it's both. He, I th I'd say for him, it's about 50, 50, probably Icelandic and English. And he actually told me that he finds that, especially in Germany, people are more excited about hearing music in Icelandic than in English. Um, I don't know what that would be like in the UK or America, but I think in Germany, uh, they're very interested in that. 
And also it probably depends on your genre of music. I know that uh, like in heavy metal, for instance, because he's a, he's a folk artist and, and in folk music, it's probably, you know, that's, that's where it comes from. It's, you know, I mean, this is of course, Western Americanized folk music in a way, you know, sort of in the vein of um, Bob Dylan or, or whatever, something like that. Uh, but, you know, it comes from a traditional roots. So it makes sense that it could work in any language. And I know that in heavy metal, uh, it's actually, uh, at least I've heard theory that it's preferable. If you're an Icelandic heavy metal band, then you should sing in Icelandic and heavy metal fans appreciate that more than if, you, if you're an Icelandic band that sings in English. And I know that the most famous heavy metal band from Iceland, which is called Skalmult, they all of their lyrics are in Icelandic and they're, they're pretty big in the, in the metal scene in Europe. So, uh, but I, I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, if you're, uh, there are probably some genres of like pop music where it, it wouldn't work as well. I don't know. But. Mm. That's, I think that's one of the strengths of music because you can like, you can perform, people don't always need to necessarily know the words and understand the language it's in for it to be successful. Like in Asia, Korean boys- language. Yeah, it, Korean boy bands, they, they, they're taking over the place and they don't even understand Korean. So that's... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, to that point, I mean, I have uh, several friends who are, uh, who are comedians who have been performing in, in the UK and various other places. And, you know, obviously they need to spend a lot of time translating their material and then rehearsing their material in English, uh, which is a lot of work. But again, that of course, <laughs> again, comes down to us having a very, very small market. So they need to do that to make more money. But it's different with music. One of the things I do find quite interesting though, have you heard of Tapeface? tape face uh, sounds like a fetish uh, it does sound like a fetish but it, it's um it's an amount he's a kiwi comedian who's basically a mime act and he does yeah, there's no sound no oh. language he just does different things and he's able to tour across the world sure and that's the only sort of comedian of course, yeah like as apart from maybe Eddie Izzard, who actually goes through all this process of learning different languages, he's maybe one of the only few that I've yeah. heard in comedy that are very translatable. Yeah. Well, I guess clowns work in any language. Yeah. Anything visual, like getting split so, pie in your face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's anyone that's not going to laugh if, if they see someone get kicked in the balls in, in, in a certain way. If this, Yeah, in a certain way, getting kicked in the balls in a certain way, yeah. <laughs> um, but, okay, so in some ways it's quite similar to comedy because there's, there's also a lot many ways you could do it in comedy. But um, in regards to like getting agents and all that in music, how would it, how would someone go and do that? Do they just gig across different tours and then surprisingly someone who's an agent is there and they sign them up? 
Well, uh, I've never had an agent myself. I would imagine that, uh, no, that's not how you do it. I don't think uh, there are agents showing up to many gigs. Uh, there's, uh, there are these industry uh, bo like books of uh, contacts that you can buy um, where you can, so you can, you know, where there's going to be a list of agents for different types of musicians. And uh, so I would, uh, you know, just, you would just contact those. Uh, and then networking, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of it is just performing in different festivals around the world. Uh, most of the time <laughs> for free. Uh, there's a festival that, um, that I play every year called the Melodica Festival, which is an, a sort of a singer songwriter festival that's international. So I've played it in several countries now including the UK and the US and Iceland, of course. And uh, there you'll get to know a bunch of musicians who are in the same type of music as you are. And I know that a lot of professional relationships have grown out of that because so, you meet so many people. And uh, uh, my friend who I was referring to before, I know that's how he got an agent, although I think he's... Uh, uh, you know, he's uh, been doing this for, for a pretty long time, but that's how that all started. He started originally touring just uh, with friends or performing with, uh, you know, sharing the bill with some friends in their local markets. So that's usually the way you'll start going out of your own market and, uh, and networking. And that's how eventually uh, he got an agent. So I think those are the two main reasons. It's uh, not the reasons. The two main methods of, uh, of reaching somebody like that is either uh, through networking or through those industry uh, resources where there's a list of different uh, people in the industry you can contact. One thing I want to want to ask as well. Um, so you run a sort of a podcast alongside like being a musician and like working theatres. And like, how do you sort of balance them all together? How do you? Well, that's a great question. Uh, and uh, that's possibly, I mean, time management is possibly the biggest struggle. Uh, and and I'm, I'm also a university student now because I had a tra touring a tourism business and that obviously is not working right now. So I decided to do something more with my time. So I, uh, I'm, I'm studying marketing now. Uh, but basically I stopped watching TV a lot at night. I just started going to bed earlier and getting up earlier. So I have, I get up at six so I can have a little bit of time to, uh, to write and be creative in the morning before I need to get my kids out of bed and start working on the actual things that I get paid for and stuff like that. And I have a, a, a planner, just a paper planner where I write down stuff. I have a, uh, you know, those old, the old fashioned kind of planner to just Every day I write down, okay, this is what I have to get done. This is what would be nice to get done. And then I, try to set up my day so that I, I actually get it done. 
And I also write down goals, you know, because again, I'm doing, as you said, I have music and I have all of this, you know, I have the podcast uh, and uh, different things. And uh, it's so much easier to flake on yourself than it is to flake if you have a job working for somebody else. And so I find writing down my goals, sort of this is what I want to get done this year or this quarter or this month or this week. You know, this is the stuff that I really want to get done now. And then, you know, try every day to think, okay, what, I mean, yes, there are these things that I absolutely have to get done. But then if I have more time, what, like prioritize, what do I want to do first to accomplish all of these things like this album that I'm working on that nobody's going to fire me if I don't get it done. It's just going to suck for me if I don't get it done. So I find that uh, uh, that helps a lot. Just every morning getting up and looking at that and thinking, okay, what can I, uh, how can I use the, my time today most effectively? Okay. And do you, how do you adjust it based on your day? How do you sort of, how do you, like you've planned this and that and then boom, this happens or that happens? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, a lot of the times, uh, you know, I'll, uh, well, most of the time I'll come up with this great plan for what I'm going to do and then <laughs> maybe half of it actually happens <laughs> if I'm lucky. So it's not like I'm this, super organized person just because I have a book that I write stuff in. Uh, yeah, like you said, things come up and your plans get derailed and that happens every day. And a lot of the times I'll make a great plan. Yeah, I'll do this and this and this. And then I forget to take into account that I have to cook my meals and eat them and use the bathroom and all of these things <laughs> that actually take up time during your day. Uh, it's very easy to plan this. Yes, I'll spend an hour doing this. And then I realize, well, it actually takes four hours to get that done. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's just, a, you know, try to roll with the punches. Um, I, I, this planner that I have, if, if I don't, if I'm, if I write something down that I'm going to get done and I realize that it's not going to get done, I'll just put a little arrow to say, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. And then if, I, if I'm doing that every day, then I realize, all right, I'm either gonna do this now or I'm not gonna do it at all. Uh, you know, eventually it'll get to that point that this stuff that I said I was gonna do three days ago, I haven't done it yet. So am I actually gonna do it now or am I just gonna forget about it? Uh, so a lot of the times it'll happen like that. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes you just have to say no to stuff as well. Sometimes I, you know, something comes up and I actually just have to say, no, I can't deal with that. I, I'm going to have to, you know, I, I said I was going to do this and it is important. So I think it's very easy to put yourself last. This th These things, you know, like your craft or your art uh, that uh, are not as time sensitive as something else 
sometimes you just have to put it first. And if somebody calls you and say, hey, can you go take care of this? Or can you do that? Sometimes you just have to say, no, I can't because I have, I made an appointment. Yeah. Even if that appointment is just with yourself, you just need to prioritize. Uh, and if you have a goal related to something that you're working on, like me, I'm working on an album. And uh, some, some days I just have to do, to put that first and say, I'm going to get this part of this song done today. And I'm not going to let anything derail that. Mm. And that's, for me, it tends to be pretty easy because I control my time. If, if, if I have an assignment that I'm getting paid for, I can push it sometimes. And I, I have, have that flexibility. Of course, not everybody does that. But then again, you know, um, if you're serious about it, then try doing it before you go to work in the morning or, you know, after you uh, put the kids to bed at night or something like that. What, um, so one thing I want to ask on top of that, what does your sort of podcast focus on? What is your, tell us a bit about the podcast. Well, it's, uh, it's about, it's f creative entrepreneurship and uh, sort of more marketing and business focused side of that. Okay. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, the things that uh, us as creative people tend to be bad at and that I'm certainly bad at it. So that's why I have people come on, interview people who know stuff that I don't so that I can learn and people who listen can learn alongside me. Uh, I don't think anybody's perfect in any of those uh, areas. I have certain things that I'm good at and a lot of things that I'm not good at. So it's all about uh, this collective learning. I, I kind of have this dream of, of having a community of uh, creative business people who uh, sort of collaborate to help each other uh, reach their goals and make their artistic business bigger and better. Yeah, that's the, I have a similar sort of thing. Like one of the, I said, like in the podcast itself. Um, at the moment, the main focus is on people that have made what they like their main job. And like, if you want to get to a certain place, interview yeah. people who have already made it there, and then you can learn it. And if people yeah, exactly. learn from, if people into that, they can go on with you. Yeah. Exactly. That's, 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 that's my focus. I think that's, uh, you know, the, the, uh, you should always be learning new stuff. And again, I went back to, to uh, university. Uh, and I think that the minute you stop learning, then your life is over. One thing I want to ask. So how, how long have you been running the podcast for as a whole? Well, I'm sort of relaunching it now. Uh, I started it uh, last year and uh, it, it I, first I started another podcast, which was just a songwriting podcast. And uh, then I decided to pivot and started a new one, which was this one. Uh, and uh, then things in my life got very overwhelming. Again, my time management failed and uh, I took a little break and that break turned into over a year. And so now I'm back. Yeah. So it's kind of brand new right now. Because 
I mean, I've, I've spoken to a few, I've, I've only spoken to, in the podcast, I spoke to one person, I think a couple of days ago, who made, just about made a successful career, the podcasting. And he said one of the things yeah. he does is, because the editing and all that takes a lot of time. And what he does mm-hmm. is he tries not to worry too much about that and just, um, he, 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 interview, he really sort of researches the guests beforehand. So that when he talks to them, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to do too much to it and can go on and produce seamlessly rather than like making this right, making that right. Yeah, I tend not to edit uh, a lot. Uh, you know, I, I do some research beforehand and then I kind of just see where it goes. And usually I don't really need to do that much editing. Um but I guess also so far I've been lucky in that the people I've brought on have been interesting and articulate and, you know, it's just been pretty effortless. Yeah. Uh, so touch wood, hopefully that just continues. Uh, but, uh, but it is, but it is uh, uh, a time consuming. Of course, I kind of have the advantage of having been a recording artist and recording myself for a long, long time. So when it comes to audio editing and all that stuff, I work very fast too. So I kind of have a lot of shortcuts that are, because uh, editing a podcast is much easier than editing a song in many ways. Oh, uh, would you care to enlighten me and other people listening who, who can only play the flute? Well, <laughs> well, when you're, when, if you need to edit something in a song, then everything needs to line up. You have a, a rhythm and you have musical notes and there's a lot of room uh, or not a lot of room for error. Rather, there's no room for error. Uh, when you're editing dialogue, then it's sort of, as long as you don't really hear a click, then you're sort of fine. And it's uh, uh, usually, at least for me, I find that, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very easy to just, you know, it, there's not a lot that can go wrong there. It's, yeah, I, I find it quite interesting. Um, I think, have you, have you, did you do a lot of podcasts on Zoom or on face-to-face? Because I think I'm going to do, even when everything's all over, I think I'm going to do a lot of podcasts on Zoom regardless. Well, I mean, I, uh, most of my podcast guests are in other parts of the world. So I use, uh, I use a service called Squadcast, which is, uh, which is very cool because it records on both sides at the same time. So you're not recording uh, a, a stream over the internet. You're actually, the guest is recording it on his or her side and then it uploads into the server. So it's, the audio quality is much higher. Uh, and then you, and you get the two different tracks so I can put it in. And if there's, if somebody coughs or something, I can edit it out. And uh, so that's what I use. And I've always used that because I, I think I've recorded like one or two interviews face to face. Other than that, it's all been uh, remotely. It's just this morning I, I, I did a, an interview, two interviews, one with a guy in Taipei, Taiwan, and the other one in Las Vegas. Oh, so. nice. 
Yeah, because, you know, there are... Uh, the guy in Taipei is an American author who uh, teaches English in, in Taiwan. And the other guy is a motivational speaker ah. and a life coach. God, there's a lot of that in America. There's a hell of a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever known a life coach in Iceland. I don't, I don't think I've heard of one. I'm sure there are some. I just, I've never heard of them. They're not big yet. <laughs> no. No, I think we just, we just uh, drink and bear it. <laughs> drink and bear it? <laughs> uh, whatever's going on. Like- we don't grin and bear it. We drink and bear it. <laughs> All right. Oh, I had a shit day at work. All right. Better yeah. now. Boom. Next day. <laughs> Who said that alcohol was bad? For you? It's it's <laughs> yeah, it's but it's in in the UK. I find it a lot easier to be a drunk because the beer is only three percent, and the bar closes at eleven, so you're home at a reasonable hour. Here, everything is very strong, and everything stays open until one, two, three o'clock. So it's you sleep too little, and your liver liver can't handle it. Yeah, so you're used to it in in used to it in Iceland. You you, you trained for it in here in England. The, the the beers and that are nothing, but in Iceland, you know, it's like you've been working out with all these pints. Oh, what's this pint of Guinness? This is nothing, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, uh, no, it's Icelanders are we're like half uh, like genealogically we're half irish half norwegian which means that we uh talk funny and drink a lot oh okay that's cool so that's so so yeah that's that sounds a lot like the irish (laughs) they talk funny and they drink a lot (laughs) yeah but we talk even funnier like the norwegians (laughs) that's true no. Uh, and in London, we talk miserable <laughs> and complaining and moaning about something. To be honest, I well, think... Yeah, a lot of different dialects in London. Yeah, different regions, different strokes. I mean, you've got Essex, you got... <laughs> no, uh, one thing I must That's say... That's where I used to live. Oh, God, I feel for you. And I, w- I want to say one thing as well. <laughs> How do you feel when you're when you're on the public transport in London? Because I mean, that probably maybe put you off and made you want to come back to Iceland. I think that that's the thing that would make anyone want to leave, <laughs> especially in the summer. I mean, that's just it's dangerous. I mean, literally, people die on the tube in the summer. Uh, uh, so yeah, no, that's uh, that's terrible. Uh, and uh, again, like I, like as I say, you know, everything takes such a long time, and public transport is a part of that. It just takes forever to get from A to B. Uh, and uh, oh yeah, the tube, uh, absolutely, it's just murder, and expensive. You pay a lot of money to be miserable for a long time. There's nothing really good about it. It's yeah, it really is bad because if you, I mean, like in Paris or in New York or Chicago, it only costs like a hundred dollars for a month, and you can travel anywhere. In London, that barely covers you for a week. Like that's it's seventy-one yep. pounds for an entire week to cover all zones. 
Yeah, I know. It's uh, uh, horrible. I mean, and it's ineff- inefficient and, and confusing. Like in, in Copenhagen, the metro system in Copenhagen is wonderful. You can get from anywhere to any other place just in a matter of minutes. It's absolutely fantastic. And so many trains that they're never really overcrowded except during the peak hours. Uh, it's great. Of course, that's a pretty uh, recent. Is there a ghost behind you? No, that was my. Uh, <laughs> yes, it, it's there is a ghost. <laughs> uh, no, it's my. Well, my okay. parents are here. <laughs> so they. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> and they are alive. Yes. I, at last I checked. I okay, mean, it's quite a podcast to have. Ghosts <laughs> I mean, I'll, it's probably happened before, but it would be funny to see. <laughs> The the, uh, the undead podcast that would be great, uh, but yeah no absolutely uh, uh, I, I I don't think I'll ever live in London again if only so that I never have to use the public transport system. Well, if I go to London, I guess I'll have to do. It. But it, it's fine for a vacation, but not for as a lifestyle. I don't, I don't <laughs> it's silly, isn't it? <laughs> oh. There is one, so there's two, you've brought about two questions in my mind. And one question I ask is, how do you alter the music? And you said you've done comedy as well. How do you have to alter it when you're doing English comedy and music as well, mixed in with Icelandic music and comedy? Well, um, I've, I haven't done much comedy in English, although, uh, like I said, I do uh, walking tours in Reykjavik, and that's kind of my comedic outlet these days. Uh, And I find that for me, at this stage, uh, because I've been for now, I guess, 15 years, I've been doing so much much, uh, gigging in, in front of people who are not Icelandic that I've and also I mean I'm a, I'm a translator as well so my English at this point is probably equally good as my Icelandic and I think in English which is someone said that's that's when you're fluent in a language when you can think in that language uh, and I think at this point I've spent enough time doing all of this stuff that it's Telling jokes in English for me is the same, if not easier, than in Icelandic at this point. Um, when it comes to music, I've only recently started writing music uh, to any extent in Icelandic. Uh, most of my music that I've written throughout my adult life has been in English. And uh, the reason for that is that Icelandic is pretty hard to sing because of the way that uh, the sort of rhythm of the language works. It, it can sound very beautiful when it's sung, but it is a bit trickier to fit to music, um, especially because in Icelandic, the emphasis is always on the first syllable of a word. You never, there is not a single word in the Icelandic language where it's different. The emphasis is always on the first syllable, which can be very tricky when you're singing because 
it sounds very strange if the melody forces you to put a the emphasis on a different syllable so just that part just piecing the syllables together to sing is uh can be very difficult and also the uh, if you want to write proper lyrics or proper poetry in general in icelandic uh there's a lot there are a lot of standard rules like alliteration there should always be alliteration if you do you know i, I don't know how well because i don't know i know that yeah you know what it is anyway i know that in english poetry it's not that common um but that's like if if you're writing a proper poem uh, uh like uh, unless it's a, a non uh not, not if it's a classical style of poetry then you should always use alliteration and there are very specific rules for how to do that so the just the rules of poetry in icelandic are tricky and uh that's one of the reasons why i've struggled with it in the past uh, bec uh because it's just it takes a long time to write a proper lyric in icelandic whereas for me writing in english is no problem at all but now recently a friend of mine he I, i sent him a song that i recorded for my album and he said that's great now you should start writing in icelandic and i can uh, i can resist anything except a challenge so uh, i started doing that and i do find although i have a lot of songs in icelandic because i've worked on so many theater productions where i've written a lot of songs to pre-existing icelandic lyrics that somebody else has written so uh, and i have i've found that uh, because i've been uh, that's actually that's one thing that i forgot to mention is that uh, through tourism i've done a lot of uh, sort of special gigs i might i'll come back to that because uh, that's uh, actually a pretty good source of revenue but um because i've been performing for tourists a lot i found that singing songs in icelandic tends to be very very popular for people who are you know from other countries who are visiting iceland so i have been performing uh those theater songs because they're in icelandic um so but i guess i don't know the difference i don't think there is much of a difference at least not for me because uh like you said earlier i mean music is so universal yeah but there are uh, in in both cases music and comedy uh the languages uh, english and icelandic they're very very different and uh so you need a you need to be need to have a very attuned ear in order to be able to like write a joke in english you need to understand it's 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 about much more than understanding what the words mean or having a good vocabulary or whatever you need an ear for the for the timing because the timing's very different between yeah. english and icelandic um and uh, uh so yeah so I, i i guess in that sense it is different and i it's the same goes for music uh certain melodies work very well for icelandic lyrics and certain melodies work very well for english lyrics and uh they're going to be different because the inflections and the rhythms of the two languages are just so different 
yeah, it's it's funny. I've I've heard with people like one thing that's very hard about comedy in different languages is that, and also I've sort of thought about myself is that not only do you have to get the vocabulary and the syntax right, you've got to understand like the way the other language think, thinks and the way it, the culture and the way it's set yeah. up. It's just that's that's what makes it difficult. Not like I mean, learning the words in another language is hard enough. But having to like understand the rules and the way the language works and the culture of another nation, that's what makes it really hard. Yeah, and that's I think that's where uh, some of my strengths lie, because I've been working as a translator for uh, TV subtitles for 15 years, mostly American uh, stuff, but also some English stuff. And uh, that way, you know, I've become very attuned to, uh, you know, the, I mean, to the way that the language works, to the way the culture works, so a lot of cultural references, uh, and uh, you know, the uh, the way certain subsets of those communities think, and uh, uh, I think that's. Uh, uh, you know, it, it really helps to, because what I always say is when you're trying to create something, especially I think when you're trying to create uh, comedy, is you need to think uh, three-dimensionally. So if you have a concept that you want to, whether you want to write a song about it or uh, a joke about it or whatever, you need to be able to take that concept and take it from a two-dimensional idea and turn it into a three-dimensional idea so you can turn it upside down and backwards and front and see it from all the different sides because that's where you find something interesting to say hmm. does that make sense yeah what, what, what do you mean three so, different sides so like when um uh, it's like when when you're if, if i'm trying to write to make something funny which i've had to do for this a walking tour that I've done, you know, I'm looking at a statue or a building or something and I'm thinking, okay, so how can I tell a joke about this? It's just a statue. Then I'll think, okay, why, you know, I'll say, why is this and why not? And just try to think of the concept of the statue, not the statue itself, but the concept of this certain statue from a lot of different angles. So, so, you know, why is this statue not whatever? Uh, it's like there was a, a, I remember a statue that I used to go past on the tour and it has a, uh, it's just a normal statue. There's nothing special uh, about the statue itself. I mean, there's, it's obviously a, a, an important person, but the pedestal underneath the statue, the plinth is bigger than normal. And so that's, so I started to think, okay, why is the plinth that big? And uh, so that led to a joke that I used to tell is that, well, they, they, they started with the pedestal and then they ran out of money. So they had to make the statue very small, uh, which was just the kind of a way to think about the concept of that statue from a different angle, not the best joke, but uh, you know, that's, that's sort of how I, uh, how I think about it. And it's the same with, you know, writing music, if you think, okay, I'm going to write a music about a, a, 
a person who's, I don't know, who's, uh, I remember this one time I heard somebody going through, it was just a person at a bar crying about something to her friends, uh, about her uh, ex-boyfriend having a new girlfriend or something. And uh, so I decided to write a joke about, uh, not a joke, a uh, song about, that's a terrible thing to joke about, uh, to write a, a, a song about that. And so that sort of took taking, because that could have been a very sappy and boring song. It's a very out, you know, it's a, it's a concept that's been done to death. But I, I just, you know, I took it and I took the concept of being in that position and I started to look at it from all the different angles. You know, why uh, is this person going through this? Why not something else? That sort of thing. And uh, that's what I refer to as thinking three-dimensionally about a, a, a concept or an idea, if that makes sense. But how, how do you flip it back so that it can work for people in Iceland as well, as opposed to just people from another nation? Uh, so the what can work, I'm sorry. So if you make a joke, like you said about the statue, how do you flip it so that it works for people within your own nation as well, rather than just from the foreign aspect? Well, I mean, I think that uh, a lot of those things are exactly how that works because uh, if, again, I have done this actually, I have taken Icelanders on the tour and given them, uh, you know, uh, you say, you know, you, you can uh, be a, a tourist in your own city. Uh, and and we've, we've actually done that quite a few times. Uh, and that takes a, a kind of a different approach, but it's actually in some ways easier because there you take, a place or building or a statue or a concept or whatever that people are already very familiar with. And then you turn it upside down and look at it from a different angle. And that makes it actually much funnier because a lot of the times, if you live somewhere, you don't really look at uh, your surroundings as carefully as somebody who's visiting. Uh, you know, I mean, if you live in uh, in downtown London and you cross uh, Leicester Square every day, then you probably don't think very much about the buildings around the square. So if somebody was to point out a certain building there and, and say, ah, you know, whatever, show it to you from a different angle than you've looked at it before, that's probably going to be interesting and funny to you. I can't really reference anything on Leicester Square. I just, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I, I haven't, I don't have a joke to go with this story. It's just, uh, uh, I just <laughs> mentioned something. <laughs> okay, and so going on that, what I've said here, what advice would you give for someone? I mean, effectively, you're, you're a freelancer, but you're not ne necessarily in a position where you have to work for anyone else or work in a place where you're filled with people you can't stand for money. Nope. And no, I, 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 uh, I can, I can absolutely control, you know, I, I, I get offered assignments, uh, that pay money and I do them as much as I need to. And then when I have, uh, you know, music projects, I was, I'm right now, I should have been in a very, uh, <laughs> in a very good show uh, where I wrote the music and I'm performing, but that's not happening because the theaters are closed. So I'm having to do other work, but yes, I, I work uh, for myself. But that's, 
that is sort of the ideal sort of position to be in. I mean, I mean, how, what advice would you give for someone who is, you've seen London and you've seen like working in like McDonald's or something. If someone has a dream to do something, but they're stuck in McDonald's being told that they're a waste of space all the time, how do they get out of that? <laughs> what advice do you have? <laughs> Well, I think that depends a lot on uh, where you're at in life. I mean, what stage of life you're in. Uh, somebody my age, uh, you know, I mean, I'm uh, oh, pretty old. Uh, <laughs> and I have a family. So, you know, if somebody in that position obviously is not going to just up and quit and go take a leap because then you it's it could be too big of a risk but if you are uh you know someone like you who is younger and doesn't have uh you know all those commitments and all that to lose then i would say there is a lot to be said for just taking the leap but i you know it's all about just like i said before is you you need to have goals you need to know you know, you have, have a direction, know where you're headed. I mean, what, what is it that you're good at? And like, I, you know, you may, maybe you need to def, uh, identify the opportunities in that field, the ideal ones, the ones that you want to get to, the ones that are your dream, but also the stepping stones. Because very few people are able to go from, working at McDonald's to being the next Justin Bieber. And that's lightning, it's getting struck by lightning. It happens to almost no one. But, uh, you know, if you're a musician, then, you know, go out and identify, you know, how can you get there incrementally? You know, uh, what are you good at? If you're a person who's very good at playing the guitar and singing, then maybe do that stuff that I don't do anymore. Go out and earn money by playing cover songs at some bars where you know you get paid a little bit and you get to play music every night if you're uh you know if you have the connections and you're able to get that done you know do that that's how i ended up in uh doing translation work i wanted originally my dream was to be a writer and uh so i started i i had a job as a copywriter uh that fell through and then i got a job as a translator and i was well you know at least i'm writing words every day you know it's not my end goal but i control my time and i uh, you know i can i can i can say yes or no i don't have like uh, i don't have to go in at a certain time i don't have to go anywhere i work from home and you know i can say yes or no to assignments that I'm offered. So that's a great stepping stone. And, and you know, I've been doing that for a while and now I, I do a lot of other things because I've used that as a bridge to get to where I wanted to go. So, you know, get that. If you want to be a musician, try to get any job that pays money to play music. Uh, even if it's not the most fun, you know, uh, just do that. But always keep your eye on the goal. The mistake that I've made in the past was that I got complacent in this because it was a convenient job, but it was not my end goal. So, you know, now I've started working and over the past few years, I've started working much more diligently towards 
getting more different types of work, having, uh, you know, having music uh, opportunities open to me, having uh, these theater jobs, uh, you know, doing a podcast and doing all of these different things that excite me uh, and uh, getting closer and closer to being, uh, well, I don't want to say to being where I want to be because I don't think there's ever an end. You're never done. I, I think, you know, you're always reaching for something new if you're a creative person. I think there's always a next goal, a next step. But uh, I think, you know, setting short-term goals and also setting long-term goals is very important. And, you know, be realistic, but also aim high and uh, see what opportunities you have around you for uh, getting anything that pays. And also you need to be very, uh, you need to work very hard doing things that don't pay as well. I mean, you, you do need to network. You do need to spend a lot of time getting your name out there, whether it's on social media or, you know, doing uh, podcast interviews or even traditional PR, I think is, you know, it's not uh, worthless. So yeah, those would be, I think my, at least my advice for somebody who's just starting out is to just chart your route and uh, see what stepping stones are along the way and what opportunities you have around you. Okay. And what do you make of um, people who, there's two other questions I want to follow up with. What do you make of people who get how how to, how how they can handle their envy envy or jealousy of people that are doing well better than them? Because that happens a lot in creative arts. Oh, oh no! Oh no! Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's my. Uh, I hate that. That's my number one. I, I, not even pet peeve. I just actively can't stand that way of thinking because. I think when you do that, when you think like that, you're A, you're letting uh, other people control the way you feel, which you should never do. You should always be in control of uh, as much of what you're feeling as you can. Uh, you should never have give anybody else control over your own emotions. And also, Art is never a competition. There's never, I mean, uh, art is the most, regardless of whether, you, uh, like, this is not politics, and I don't want to sound like a communist or whatever, but I think art is the least capitalist feel there is, because I don't think you're ever in a position where your success uh, is harmful to others or somebody else's success is hurting you. Uh, I, I don't think that's uh, ever a valid point because uh, somebody else, just because somebody else got a job that you may have wanted, the reason you didn't get it, there's, there's probably a reason for it. And uh, it's, it's not about the person who got the job. It's about you and the person who did the hiring. It's never about the person who got the job instead of you. And uh, I think that if you can, for me, I've always had the idea that 
if I can connect with other artists and if I can uh, help other artists in any way that I can, and if I can have relationships with our other artists where we help each other to build each other up. Uh, and that's the, that's the sort of philosophy behind that uh, melodica music festival that I mentioned before. Uh, because that way, everybody wins. There's never, you know, you have, if you have a big network and everybody works together, then uh, it's always going to be beneficial for everybody. And I just never understood that idea that somehow it's a competition or somehow, you know, that person's success uh, is something that I should be jealous of. Uh, I think that I'm always happy for other people who enjoy more success than I do. And also for people who are enjoying uh, their first success or their, who are sort of coming up. And I never feel protective because I think that, you know, when, when somebody, especially in music, when, if my friend is getting a lot of people to listen to his or her music, then uh, that eventually that's, my feeling is that's going to be beneficial to me as well. Because, you know, this is a person that's in my orbit. And so their fans, uh, they're likely to check out some of my stuff if, if we're doing similar styles of music. Uh, so, you know, I think if you're in a, in a group of artists and everybody's doing uh, things in the same ballpark, then uh, having more of you in that orbit is, is going to spread the people because people don't buy just one album. They buy a lot of albums. If, I mean, if people, people don't really buy albums anymore, but uh, you know, if, if somebody follows you or buys a ticket to your show or something, that's not going to be the last show they ever go to. They're going to go to more shows. And uh, if, you know, if, if, if I warm up for somebody who's more successful than I am, then, you know, their fans are going to hear me. Uh, so collaboration like that, I think, is, uh, is always going to be uh, more beneficial. And I think if you set aside that jealousy and that um, pettiness and make a point of helping out other people, I think we can call it karma even or something, but I think it's always going to come back to you in a positive way. Actually, one of the first episodes uh, that I did of my podcast, I interviewed uh, a world-class photographer. Uh, his name is Walid Azami, uh, and he's photographed people like Madonna and uh, Jennifer Lopez and uh, a lot of different people. Uh, and, uh, and that's his whole philosophy. Uh, he makes a point of helping out, uh, a lot of, uh, up and coming photographers. He'll, uh, select people from his, uh, mailing list or his Instagram following and invite them to come along and watch him as he works so they can learn from his, uh, photo shoots. 
And he doesn't have to do that. He's, you know, he's a very well-respected photographer. But he does it because he believes that that's going to come back to him and that it helps him not only as a person, but also as a photographer and that it helps him in his business. Uh, and I, I'm sure it does because he has a huge following on social media and he sells uh, books and I think online courses and stuff like that. So it's definitely not just beneficial for him just to have this image as a good guy, but I'm sure it's helping him to make more money too. And yeah. I think it's the same uh, with anybody. I think that's, for me, after talking to him, especially, I just think, how can I help people who are not as far along as I am, or even people who are further along? I mean, if somebody asks me for help, my immediate response is, yeah, yes, I want to help you. Yeah, and you don't know when you don't know when you might need them. So. Exactly. Like I always say, if you uh, if you want to know who your friends are, ask them to help you move a body. <laughs> that's oh, how you know your real friends. <laughs> oh, my, that's <laughs> sorry. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> that, that is brilliant. Not a couch, a body. <laughs> <laughs> I need to bury this thing. Uh, can you help me? And that's only your real friends are going to say yes to that. <laughs> okay, I'm going to I'm going to ask my parents now. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to say I because I forgot to mention it before uh, when you were asking about uh, revenue. One of the biggest things I discovered last year, which unfortunately doesn't work anymore, but it will again, I'm sure. Uh, is Airbnb experiences. And I think if you're, no matter what you do, if you're a musician or you could do it if you're a comedian or a painter or writer, anything, you can set up uh, an experience for visitors in your area. Uh, and these are small events. You can charge premium prices you can bring people to your house or you can take them on a walk around or something. You can show them whatever uh, and introduce them to your art while you're at it. Just think outside the box. I, what I was doing was uh, doing house concerts in my living room. So tourists would come, they would pay, uh, I don't know, it was like 30 euros or something uh, to come to my house, have a, a drink and a snack and I'd play them songs for an hour. And um I think that's a, a, a great tip. It doesn't, obviously, right now, it's not. But when uh, the whole mess is over, uh, that's something to really look into for any kind of artist, I think, uh, is uh, setting up an experience through Airbnb experiences. Uh, I don't think it's available everywhere in the world yet, but it's uh, in most markets, I think it is. Yeah, and then when they do that, sort of merchandise it so it lasts forever. Like you can say, oh, if you want to find out more, go here, go there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, what I used to do is people would come over, uh, they'd have a snack and I'd play and we'd chat, tell stories and all that kind of stuff. And then I'd have uh, CDs and t-shirts and vinyl records and stuff for sale if they wanted. And usually people bought something. So that was, that's actually, I, I would make decent money uh, for uh, each of those, even if it was just, two or three people, you know, they were, I mean, the tickets are 
uh, more expensive than a normal concert ticket. And you have stuff for sale as well. And you can do that, you know, if you're a writer, you can have a, a, a reading, you know, read from your work and tell stories and, you know, do all kinds of things. Uh, if you're a painter, you can bring people and uh, show them your studio. Uh, you know, and again, if you're a comedian, you know, you can do a little comedy walk around your area or something. Uh, so I think that's, um, that's, that was a game changer for me last year. One thing that I do, yeah, because it, it's funny that you bring that up, because I spoke to a magician, um, what's it called, a few days ago, and you're saying that you perform for an hour in music. Now, the thing with comedians, when we put on a show, we're lucky to get maybe, in the UK anyway, like 15, 20 minutes. And like most of the time, we do maybe five or 10 spots. And I'm quite intrigued by that, because mm -hmm. that is a massive deal of stage time, like, to perform an hour and then the 20 minutes and if you add that up over a year there is that bloody i'm feeling in some respects it means that a comedian has a more less limited time to test their things out but in other ways that's that's one thing i find quite interesting because in magic or in music you've got a lot more chance to test things out whilst a comedian you have to really sort of prove that you're worth the time that you're showing yeah but it, it depends on what you're doing uh like a, when you're starting out as a musician here uh, usually you'll be playing open mics or uh small festivals and there you might only have 20 30 minutes um you know again i've been playing for a very long time and I, I'll do an hour and a half, two hours easy. Um, but, um, uh, you know, but yes, you're right. I mean, there is a, in terms of just honing your craft as a performer and increasing your confidence on stage, then yes, I mean, playing for that amount of time really does a lot um and uh, but yeah but I, I don't know if um it's necessarily a good thing because the 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 thing thing about magic no sorry uh, comedy is that it's it's like concentrated performance because when you're doing stand-up comedy it's intense and you only have a microphone and that's it. And if you mess up, then you're, uh, there's nothing. You can't hide it. If, you're, if you have a guitar or a piano or whatever, you can, you've got some buffer. Sing the wrong note, just cover it up. Uh, and so it's a lot more relaxed. When, when I used to do stand-up comedy, I mean, you know, I do 10 minutes and it's like rapid fire. It's like machine gun in your brain, you know, because you always have to be thinking, what's my next uh, punchline? Where's, where am I going next? And you need to be very alert. When I'm playing, on, playing music on stage, it's a lot more relaxed. Mm, and one thing, maybe one of the other things as well, because like a magician, they've got all these sort of tricks. So if one doesn't work, they could easily sort of go into another one. 
whilst the comedian, the majority of the time, they're just sitting on stage telling jokes, so there's less things to cover for themselves. Like magicians, they've got music, they've got sound, they've got music, they've got all these, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, I've always said that uh, stand-up comedy is the purest uh, form of performance because you don't have anything except your brain. There's no, it's, it's like performing naked. There's nothing to cover you up. And I don't think there's any, except maybe, uh, which is sort of the same thing, uh, an actor doing a monologue on stage. It's sort of the same thing. Um, except, of course, the worst that happens to him is that he's boring, uh, which is sort of expected when a, an actor does a monologue. But a comedian, there's no margin for error and you're either funny or you're not. And, you know, there's, there's again, there's no buffer. No. It, well, one thing that I also wanted to get as well, I think in comedy, you can... Well, one thing I found in certain respects is a lot of, I think majority, a good number of comedians are more writing-based than performance-based. But then there's also a number of them that are performance-based and not necessarily writing-based, and they said that you're one or the other. One thing I will say, I think if a comedian is to be truly proper and international and really good, a lot of it is just based on their persona and how they are. I mean, like, if you look at people like Patrice O'Neill or Bill Burr, a lot of it that gets them through is their persona rather than just what's written. What's written enhances it. And people say, if you... I think that's true for... Uh, Sorry. Yeah, I, I think that's true for every kind of artist, though. I think that, um, you know, f knowing who you are deep down and uh, doing and being true to that and being yourself is the number one thing. Um, you need to find your voice before you can do anything truly remarkable. There's a great, one of my favorite quotes in the world. And unfortunately, I don't know who said this. I've, Googled the hell out of it and I just cannot find it. Uh, it was some musician. It might have been Quincy Jones, but I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, the uh, quote is, find out who you are and then be the shit out of that. And I think that's the number one thing in any creative field. You just got to find out who you are and then be it with your whole being. And that's, I mean, that's certainly true of Eddie Izzard. That's how, that's why he's so effective, no matter what the language, uh, whatever he's doing. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, he'll walk on stage and he'll, uh, a lot, large part of his show will be improvised. And that doesn't work for a lot of musicians, not because they're not great at improvising necessarily. It's just that that's, that it's just not them, but it very definitely is, Eddie Izzard, I think. Uh, and so that, I mean, it's the same for a musician, I think. Uh, you know, um, especially a performing artist. I think that uh, you can have a great song, 
uh, and you can perform it well, but unless, let's say it's not your own song, I mean, unless you have a truly, I don't want to say unique voice, but unless you have a, an honest voice, a voice that is really you and you're being your whole self, uh, then, you know, it's, it's karaoke. It's not going to be a truly authentic experience unless you're 100% I'm you. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, you were saying, of course, you've got to find your, <laughs> your own voice and that that's what it's all about and beat the yeah. shit. Be the shit out of it. Yeah, I think... But one thing I've found in comedy and perhaps a lot of other... I think just as just in general, with a lot of people in general, I think people spend their entire lives not finding out their voice, not finding their voice. I think people... Yeah, I think that's very true. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I don't know if there are any sort of ways... I mean, I, I spent a long time searching for my uh, for my voice and uh, um, I think, I hope I found it. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think, I don't know if I ever did as a comedian, but as a musician, I believe I've, I've sort of found it. Of course, it, it's uh, again, like I said before, you're always searching for the next thing. You're always, you never stop uh, searching. It's always a journey, but, um, but I think that it, it can take a long time and, and you need to always be uh, looking. And I think uh, a, a very important thing that's very hard to do, but probably one of the most important things, one of the most important skills to develop is to be able to look critically at yourself and what you're doing. And um, to, to sort of not, and, and there's a fine line there because there's also um, anxiety and imposter syndrome and a lot of things that a lot of creative people struggle with. Uh, so you need to be careful that you're not tearing yourself down. But I think you have to look at what you've been doing. And I know that when I was in comedy, I recorded every show I did and I listened to it and I analyzed everything and I said, okay, you know, is this, Am I doing what I need to be doing? And, uh, you know, that's a part of finding your voice is being critical and thinking, all right, you know, cause, because we're all imitating someone. That's inevitable. We're all, uh, we have our influences. And especially when, when we're starting out, then that's all we know how to do is to imitate someone. And I think Tom Waits said that every artist is, imitating another artist and doing a bad job. And that's how you sound uh, like you is you're just a bad imitation of somebody else. Uh, so I think you need to be aware of you know, who am I, who are my influences and how, and how much like them do I sound and, and admit to yourself if you do sound or look or uh, speak or whatever, uh, like those influences too much, then maybe you need to try to tone that down, add in new influences and try to figure out what it is that you do. And I think a lot of the times when you actually do end up finding your voice and finding something unique is when 
different uh, influences come together and turn into something new. You'll find it through just the journey. Don't try and force it. You'll just find it by trying different things and then eventually, uh huh. Yeah, I think so. And, it's, and that's where uh, the, the live aspect comes in as well. Uh, I think you feel it. I think it's easier to, to do this. I think it's easier to find this if you're a performing artist than if you're, if you're say, a musician who just does, uh, you know, writes music for others or just records and sells music or it's just a Spotify thing. Uh, I think being in a room of people as a comedian or as a musician or whatever, you feel it when, when you've struck it, when you've, you know, when you, when you start to talk or sing or whatever, and you're, you're not uh, uh, just an imitation of somebody else anymore. And you feel that feedback. I think that's, that's uh, a very good way to feel it. I'm, I'm sure there are ways to feel it. I think if you're not uh, on stage, but I think, performing live is really the best place to discover those things. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, 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 but I think if I've, I see it a lot of the times, a lot of people, even despite those things, they want to go the tried and tested or what they know to be the standard way of doing things rather than like wanting to enjoy themselves and be themselves. They, they like to be caricatures of people they admire. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's what I used to do. I mean, full disclosure, when I was starting out as a musician, I would go on stage and imitate my favorite artists. Uh, and it probably took a year or two to sort of get that out of my system before I started just trying to be myself and trying to look for my unique voice. And I think I still have a lot of those old artists. Well, I don't think it, I know it. I have still have a lot of those uh, artists that I started out imitating in my DNA as a, as an artist, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you can't be hundred percent unique. It's not possible, you know, unless you're playing, you know, unless you're building your own instruments and, you know, playing scales that no one's ever played before as a musician, uh, you know, you're always, following in somebody else's footsteps and you're always i mean it's different in comedy but in music every every chord progression has been done you can't create a new chord progression it's going to sound terrible uh you can't be 100 percent unique you can't invent the wheel it's been done so many times before you know and i'm sure as a comedian uh you know at least a few examples of comedians who have told the same joke as somebody else without having actually heard that joke. It's just yeah. people have the same ideas. Uh, so it's not possible to be completely different because there are just too many of us. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and I think that trying too hard to be completely unique is can be just as bad as imitating someone because it's it's going to be pretentious first of all and also i think there is something to be said for familiarity uh you know if you're 
looking at a film, if you're watching a movie, there are always going to be references to old movies, or you're going to hear a song that you already know in the movie or something. And it's going to be pleasant because it's familiar. So I think it's not about doing something that's completely unfamiliar. I think it's more about taking the familiar stuff that you're working with and putting it in a new uh, context. There again, it's what I said before, thinking in three dimensions. You know, you're saying, all right, I got this. If I'm writing a blues song, there are millions of blues songs, but I can think, okay, how can I make this blues song sound like me and not like the Rolling Stones or whatever? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, I think, yeah, okay. And the main, main way to, to add on top of that without being pretentious of trying to be unique is to try different things out, explore maybe different fields or speak to different people and try different ideas that you think are interesting. And that way you, 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 you feel both ends of the things. Exactly. And I mean, going back to comedy and trying to be unique, uh, comedians have uh, a finite number of things they can actually talk about. There's a finite number of topics. You can't, uh, because if you go out there and you talk about something that people don't know anything about, then they're not going to laugh because they don't understand what you're saying. That's why jokes about your family or airplanes or uh, uh, cats work. It's because everybody can relate to those things. And without relatability, you can't be funny. So trying to reinvent the wheel never works. What you do is you take bits of different wheels and then you put it together to form your own thing. Exactly. Exactly. You're, you're still, it's still a wheel. You just build your own wheel. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's still essentially a wheel. And uh, so, you know, as you, you, take this known entity that is a joke about an airplane and you, you do it as you, not as an imitation of somebody else, but it's still a, a, you know, a known idea, a known entity that you're doing. You just need to figure out your way to approach it that's uh, uniquely yours. Yeah, I think perhaps maybe the reason for maybe Maybe a lack of. Um, I need. Well, it looks very dark here, doesn't it? In my room, <laughs> looks like a ghost. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. It's, again, I keep. I'm. I'm getting more and more convinced that it, your house is haunted. It's. It's almost. I turn this off. <laughs> now it's better. <laughs> no. Um. The thing is, I think the. I remember how much electricity costs in England. Don't worry. <laughs> I think. I think that. I think the reason for maybe people not forming the voices is maybe they get too comfortable doing a certain thing and then they don't want to go on the journey or the process doing things. They don't enjoy it or they don't want to do it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and that is, I mean, uh, that's the thing also when we talk about, you know, turning your dream into your job, or whatever, it's still a job. And there are still going to be things that are not enjoyable. 
it doesn't matter how passionate you are about what you do for a living or how much you enjoy it. You're always going to have to do some things that are not fun. And you are going to have days where you're not enjoying yourself. And because uh, otherwise it's a hobby. That's the difference between a job and a hobby. Even if you're getting paid, if, if, it's, if, it's, uh, if there's never a part of it that's not enjoyable, then it's not your job. I guarantee it. Um, because uh, that means that you stop working when you're not enjoying yourself. Because there's, there is nothing in the world that doesn't have a, a boring side. And, uh, you know, when you're, uh, if you're going to be, uh, uh, you know, working for yourself as a creative entrepreneur or whatever, you know, you, you need to take care of business side, the business side of it. You need, there's marketing that needs to happen. There's, you have to do your taxes. There are always going to be things that are not fun. And, uh, the trick is to still do those things. That's how you ultimately succeed doing it is because it's very easy to show up for the fun days. The tricky part is showing up for the hard days. Yeah. That's, that's in a lot of sort of motivational things. They don't always sort of talk so much about that. They try and say, Oh, you can do this. You can be inspired, but they don't always go into that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there, the trick is, to keep going when you're not inspired it's, it's very easy to uh, you know when when you are when you feel you're pumped up and you're excited and you're inspired to start doing things and then it's not so bad to do the you know the uh whatever it is whatever part of your uh, line of work you don't enjoy but then you know it's raining outside it's a tuesday it's early uh you feel like shit and then and you still have to show up and you have to do the work because if you don't, then you fail. Uh, and uh, like I said before, it's so hard, it's so easy to flake on yourself when there's no boss standing over your shoulder. It's so easy to say, yeah, I'll, I'll do this tomorrow. And then you never do it. Um, so, uh, you know, just uh, showing up and doing the work, that's like 60% of it is just forcing yourself to do the things that you don't enjoy doing. Um, and uh, I got, a, I got great advice uh, today actually, which was just f trick yourself into doing those things. Just say, all right, I'm just, I'm going to do it for three minutes and then I'll stop. But then three minutes turns into five minutes and then just keep going. Uh, and it's, it's like a, you know, it's like a space shuttle launch. You know, you've seen those videos of space shuttle being launched and there's all this energy, all this rocket fuel that's burning and it's this giant, nobody can be like anywhere near it because they'll be burned to a crisp. And uh, there's so much energy that goes into lifting it off the ground. But then as soon as it's outside of the atmosphere of Earth, then it just keeps going forever on its own. And I think that's usually just getting started is the hardest part when you're, when it's something that you don't enjoy doing. Uh, yeah. So just when, as soon as you get a little bit of momentum, then you can keep going for days. I've been writing a novel lately and uh, I write in the morning and, uh, and I, I never feel like getting started. I always say, oh, man, I just want to 
sleep a little bit longer and I would, but I'd say, all right, if, I'll at least write one sentence. And then that turns into two and three, and then you know I, I'll have finished my quota for the day sooner than I uh, than I thought, and it's it, it goes very well. So I think that's if I had to give a little bit more advice from before uh, to anybody starting out, when you have a day where you have to do some stuff that's boring and you don't want to do it, just at least get started. Yeah. What's yeah? There's a lot of things to unpack there. It's definitely yeah. It's it's funny. Your mind's very very funny thing. It only takes one little thing to change it. Yep. That's that's uh. It's uh, we tend to we tend to uh, always uh, look at the worst possible outcome of everything. I think that's a very human thing to do. Uh, that's sort of how I think that's why we uh, humans in general enjoy horror movies and scary stories. It's because our mind, uh, when whenever there's something that we're not sure about, our mind immediately jumps to the worst possible outcome. And so a horror movie, then you'll actually see the worst possible outcome, and that's very uh, uh, gets a little bit enjoyable. You like that. And. <laughs> Uh, and I think that, uh, yeah, it's fine. Um, and, uh, I think that's, uh, that's what we do. That's, that's where anxiety comes from as well. And, uh, that's procrastination too. It's, you know, you, you look at the project or the task at hand and it feels much bigger than it actually is. And as soon as you just get started, you know, just write one sentence read one page of the book you're supposed to read for school, whatever it is, you know, as soon as you just start, that's the biggest hurdle. It's just to start. Uh, and then, you know, uh, it all, uh, you discover that your mind is constantly playing tricks on you. To keep you where it's comfortable. Yeah, I mean, change is scary. And uh, that's another thing that makes it hard to to get sort of going as, uh, you know, in terms of changing your life in any way. Change, even positive change, is scary to us because, uh, you know, the, the human brain wants to have everything under control and be in a place where it knows its surroundings and I think that's uh, probably a very dangerous part of the situation we're all in everywhere in the world now is, you know, we're all in most places. We're kind of locked up and um, it's easy to get, I don't even know when I last saw a person that was not my family. It's like three weeks or something, which is, uh, you know, that's, I think that's probably pretty dangerous to, uh, cause you can get sort of stuck in that, in that place. One thing I want to ask, you're saying it is very true that you can trick yourself, but how do you sort of hold yourself accountable and not let yourself get away with things? Uh, well, um, well, again, one of the things that I do is just make sure to write it down. And in a plan, so this is what I'm going to do today. And I 
I have a, you know, I, I should take this off before, uh, uh, you know, going to bed or whatever. And I find that that um, helps me to sort of finish things sometimes, not always. Um, having an accountability partner or group, I think is very good as well. If there's something that you're working on where, again, you don't have somewhere to show up. If you're a musician, you can set a goal of, or, or if you're a comedian, uh, you can set a goal of doing a certain performance and you can book it. And that's going to keep you accountable because you have, you have it booked. You need to show up for the booking. Again, not right now, but <laughs> it could happen. Uh, but uh, I think having somebody else sort of keep you accountable is a very good strategy as well to just, I, I did that uh, when I was trying to get my first album finished. I started a Facebook group and I had a bunch of my family and friends just cheer me on really just sort of get it, get it done. Yeah. It's yeah, I've, I'm, I'm, that's something I'm I'm trying to set up as well with a couple, one mate of mine. I'm gonna like do that with some of the things I'm working on, and then we're gonna like. I'm I gonna think write, it's a great idea. Like, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna write down what I want to do. He's gonna write down what he wants to do, and then we'll meet at the end of the week and then see what the week. That's a that's a great idea. Actually, uh, I have a podcast episode about accountability partnerships where I talk to uh, a woman who was my accountability partner at the time. Uh, and uh, we sort of went into a whole lot of detail about how, how that can help and, and sort of how we did it and, and practical things related to that and what, what to do and what possible pitfalls and things like that. So you might want to check that out. Yeah, send me the link and I'll have a look. Yeah, you can. It's. I'll tell you now as well. It's just it's uh, artemist.net slash ap two. I'm pretty sure it's ap two. Um, no, it's not ap two. It's ap four. That's right. Ap two is different. Ap four. Okay. Yeah, it's nice. Is that right? Yep, got it. Um, just want to say, yeah, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast. Been been a pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this has been fun. And uh, can I plug my stuff? Yes, you, go ahead. Share, <laughs> share whatever you want. All right. Well, yeah. I have the. Yeah, I mean, I have the podcast, uh, which is all about uh, making money from your art. Um, and that's at artemist.net. It's a play on words like alchemist, but it's artemist because it turns art into gold. And uh, it's artemist.net. And if uh, anybody wants to check out my music, they can go to onebadday.is. Uh, so onebadday.is. Uh, so that's my stuff. Awesome. Uh, and hit me up with any like social media handles that you have and like, um, sure. and uh, yeah, I'm going to advertise it on the podcast when it's up uploaded. All right. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much. And yeah, take care and I will speak to you soon. All right.
Und vor.